And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. It's Wednesday. I'm Dave DeFore, sitting here with Seth Bartnow and Moda Kill. So this must be Nerder, she wrote. Guys, um, we had Chet versus Wemby last night. Obviously a game with... uh, I don't know, a lot of buildup, a lot of anticipation. Two top rookies. These guys really, to start the year, have been incredible. And we got a dud. <laughs> as, as so often happens when, you, uh, when you're when you anticipating a sporting event, you can't pre-plan what's going to happen. Neither guy really had a good game. Um, what was it like, guys, for you to see these two I mean, they're not twin towers because they're not on the same team, but the, the photo of them on the jump ball, it looks like a model of the double helix to me. I mean, it's just, it's very visually jarring. It just like, looks like it doesn't belong. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Look, the, the matchup, the idea of what we hope would be, you know, epic. We didn't, we didn't get it this time, which is fine. Uh, I think they're going to have a lot of battles over the course. Of, there was animosity between the two of them. You could oh, felt yeah. like they both felt the moment and and wanted to oh, go at one gate. another, you know, like yeah, headbutt gate from preseason. There was a fun play uh, when the game was pretty much already decided because let's just be honest. Also, the Spurs are way behind the Oklahoma City Thunder in terms of just talent and whatnot. Like, I think I texted you guys or another friend group where I just said, like, this could be a fun Chet versus Wemby thing, but this game's going to be a blowout. And that's exactly what it was. Uh, but there was a moment where. You know, uh, Holmgren's going up against Zach Collins and just Wemby just comes from behind and rejects his shot, you know, and it's like it's it's there there are those types of things that we're going to get with that stuff. But I like it because we have a rivalry somewhat building. If the if the Spurs can keep this kind of going, like we can actually have a fun rivalry between these two teams for quite a while. I'm glad you pointed out. I'm glad you pointed out his rivalry between the teams. Uh, just, you know, the history of if you like age group competition, Wemby and, and Chet matched up a bunch and um, it was not a, it was, it was not a rivalry. It was a, it was a domination essentially. Like, like this, this sort of how uh, um, when Wembenyama was sort of bubbling up as a prospect, it's like, okay, everyone knew about Chet. And then there's this big French guy who's just destroying him. So I think that, um, uh, you know, I think the Wembenyama is, is further along physically than, than, than Holmgren is certainly. So I think that it's going to be in that individual matchup. I think it's, I don't think it's necessarily a rivalry though. It could be an interesting team rivalry as, as Mo says, if uh, I don't know, San Antonio adds a point guard. <laughs> I mean, we can go into this, like we've done it many times, but like, sorry, man, the, the point Sohan thing just isn't going to work. <laughs> like it's, it's, the, the, it, what, what's really crushing, and we've said it before, it's, you know, just taking away reps from other guys that need it. Like, they need a veteran point guard, and they need it fast. 
and you know like this is a fun idea but come on man like we let's just this is hurting all the other guys on the team to try to see if Sohan's a, Sohan's a point guard and we know he's not I don't mind the experiment but I think at this point like you just you you they they struggle so much to get guys in the right spots with the ball um that I think that that it did that as Mo says, it's it's you're you're costing yourself quality reps, and the fact that you know it bears out by just how much more efficient they've been with Trey Jones on the court. And Trey Jones is a perfectly fine backupy point guard, but it shouldn't be that much of a of an impact. Yeah, well, uh, as much as Chet and Wemby, you know, in, in their first matchup was a little bit of a dud. I mean, it, look, it happens, guys. The in season tournament has actually been kind of awesome. It feels extremely competitive. The courts aside, because the courts are an abomination. We're we're not going to get into the courts. I'm hoping they're going away. I actually have a little bit of a conspiracy theory uh, on I... Dallas. Um, I, I, those courts got to go away. Uh, go ahead. What, what were you going to say about it? No, I think so, so, like the the idea of a distinctive court is good. Some of them, the execution is pretty good. Don't mind. Um, I think that there's some lessons to take from here. One, red, no. Uh, two, uh, they, blue, they, no, they to, well, some of the blues are okay. It's the ones that are super reflective, like OKC's. Right. Okay, I think actually looks pretty good. Uh, and uh, and part of it is it was, I don't know if it's the angle of the hard cam or or, or the, the specific color use, but it's not like you're not seeing a mirror image of the game in on the floor, which is distracting. And the third issue that some of them have is uh, some of the ones that have a lighter middle stripe, it's actually really hard to make out the court markings. So yeah. some of them are okay, but uh, I think on balance, they've probably been a miss, though I don't mind the idea. I feel, look, man, every time I see one of these games, I feel like, you know, these home shows where someone, you know, they buy an old house and they walk in and it's like, these beautiful painted floors have been painted over. Right. You would I never mean, do that. I mean, it's just, and and I, you know, now you've got players talking about how slippery they are, and now you've got a safety thing. Look, it's called the hardwood for a reason. I like the look of the wood. I'm I, I'm I just, I'm with Seth. Let's just you know, let's go next season. Let's just go a step further and do peach baskets, and let's kind of really <laughs> embrace everything. Um, no, but I, I I feel like I'm being quoted out of context. But <laughs> no, 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 carry on. No. No, no, but I, I, I more just wanted to get the joke off more than yeah. anything else. Um, no, I like the distinction of the court. Like, I like. Hey, listen, the court. I don't like the courts, fine. and that's fine. fine. They can do better. That I like that they do that. I like that they wear different uniforms. It's you know, it's a regular season game. Plus, I think yeah. that's the kind of way I look at, it, and it kind of creates a thing. But more importantly, and this is this is the thing people have to understand because everybody wants to decide: is this a success or a failure after we've had what three games? Like everybody needs to slow their roll. We need at least four or five years of data before we can really discuss if this thing works or not. But I just would say just offhand, the players seem into it and they seem to be going at it much harder. And I think, you know, I'm going to be very fascinated to see how teams approach when they get to Vegas. How do they approach those games? Are they going to treat them like playoff games? You know, is this going to be a finals preview? Like, is there going to be a, a like there's some or a conference finals preview and stuff? Is there some little there's some fun stuff in there that we might be able to get out of this that I think is really worth it? But I think also just at the end of the day, the thing we said from the very beginning was you have to get the players bought in. And so far they're bought in and we've gotten some really fun, good games out of this. And even if it's just because they get four days in Vegas or whatever in December, you know, <laughs> to sort of break the season up, that's an incentive. 
I think for, for players to, to play hard. And we had like four fights in the games yeah. last night. Don't we, tell we, me these guys aren't going hard. I mean, number one, we get fights in regular season, but it does feel like there's an added amount of intensity to these games. And it could also just be maybe the courts are causing their their minds to, <laughs> to go nuts. Well, they, they're literally it, it, seeing red. So it's definitely not for one of them. One of them, this yeah, is just yeah. a normal occurrence. Well, let, let's talk a little bit um, about. I mean, it's it's not even an elephant in the room at this point. Uh, in last night's Warriors Timberwolves game, Draymond Green applied a textbook rear naked choke on Rudy Gobert in the midst of a scuffle between Jaden McDaniels and Clay Thompson. Gobert comes in, tries to break it up, and Draymond sees an opportunity to do. Honestly, it looked like. It was something that he wanted to do. I mean, he just jumped in directly at Rudy's neck and pulls him off and gets ejected. Warriors lose another game. And we're going to talk about the Timberwolves a little bit today because they they won their seventh straight last night. But the Draymond thing, it's it's tired. You know, it's old. It's You can't tell me it's intensity. This was two minutes into the game. And I thought Rudy Gobert kind of and maybe this is a little bit of poking the bear. I, I don't know. But Rudy Gobert, in his post-game statements, he said he knew when they found out Steph wasn't playing. And, Mo, this one bites, right? This one cuts a little bit to the competitive core of a guy. He said he knew when Steph was out that Draymond was going to try to get ejected. I mean, it's yeah. gotten kind of predictable. To, to I wouldn't go that far, but it's kind of gotten predictable with him. So no, that- it's Go ahead, Seth. No, the thing that makes me think of is we we've sort of had some fun over the years about sort of the uh, invisibility cloak that Draymond has once he gets a first technical. So getting that second yellow card is something that is proven difficult for him. So he just made sure he got straight red. This and 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 <laughs> I, that that that's what that that makes me think. Two of. minutes into the game, yeah. I don't like broken a sweat. I'm yet. not I, okay. So like one for starters, I'm not buying that from Rudy. Okay, I think that's just Rudy being Rudy and stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff that Rudy says that it annoys everybody around the league about. Rudy but I'm here Gobert. for it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But like, I'm not I'm not because I think first off, there's plenty enough to say about Dr- Draymond. But like there's there's a lot of like Rudy's obviously not loved by a lot of people in the league. A lot of guys don't like him. I mean, to put it this way, before they were teammates, Anthony Edwards talked about he was more afraid of Kristaps Porzingis when he drove to the paint than Rudy Gobert. Like, there's a level of respect that Rudy commands and doesn't command, and this is the kind of stuff that leads to him not getting the dumbass comments like that. Just shut up. It's over and done with, just in that regard, okay? But let's go to Draymond, because this is the thing where it's just like, I'm just tired. I'm tired of this. Like, I don't, I mean, like, okay, they derail, he derails this game. It, this is two games after he got kicked out with Donovan Mitchell, which I, I think was a questionable one. We can argue that one a little bit in terms of how the refs handled that. But then it's like, okay, last year you stomped on DeMontis Sabonis, get suspended in a playoff game. You ruined the whole season for the Warriors by punching Jordan Poole. We have just so many data points the fight with Kevin Durant at the Clipper game, you know, that, that really carried over throughout most of that year. You have the, uh, um, the entire playoff series where he pretty much kicked every player in the nuts he won up against, and then eventually gets suspended and costing the Warriors a a, a championship. 
Like, he's a veteran. He's really solid at everything and, and, and all those things. But, man, when's enough going to be enough? And when is he just going to, like, just play, dog? Like, we know you're the toughest dude in the NBA. We get it, like, all this stuff. And we can, we can if we want to go and just zoom in on this and go, he was defending Clay and all that stuff. Okay, whatever. But his history shows that he just jumps in when he can. And I think it's just, I'm just tired of it. And it's at this point, like, I love him as a player, but I'm just tired of this whole thing from him. Like, it derails what has a chance to be good games. He's cost him playoff games. He's cost him finals games. And now he's cost him an in-season tournament game. I mean, this is just, when will it stop, Seth? You know, it's at a certain point. I mean, they lose their fourth straight. They're without Steph already, right? And he gets ejected early. So they, him and Clay, so they lose their fourth straight. And, you know, the Warriors, they don't have this, like, huge margin for error. It's still built on Steph Curry is one of the two or three best players on the planet, and we all maximize ourselves around him. And so you were going to struggle without him there anyway. But it was still a home game, you know, and and the, the Timberwolves were hot coming in having one stick straight, you would think he'd be fired up to try to, to win that game. But instead, you know, he gets ejected and, and they lose their fourth straight. I'm a little of two minds here uh, just because I think Mo like went through the history of it. And it's, it's obviously someone who is a, you know, a, a, a habitual line stepper uh, to the point where the line sort of has moved for him. It seems like. Uh, at times um at the at the same time though there's a lot of guys in a lot of different ways where sometimes there's there's some downside to the upside of what they give you and so i don't want to yes i think that 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 he he should curtail kind of the, the the roughest edges of this but for the warrior success that that sort of ferocity and intensity was a key part and so it's like calibrating that which way would you rather miss would you rather not be intense enough or too like i clearly he's going too far but uh, so uh, you know how much of this is just is is sort of table stakes of this is this is the the upside of what he gives you we know and this is the downside and yeah we can criticize that but it's it's not a terribly dissimilar criticism to i wish he passed more i wish he defended better like those kind of things it's sort of just the you know it's an imperfection of him as a player i i want to i i don't like that seth like i'm i'm so like i'm tired of this being the cop out of like yo kg was wildly intense in that sense that we never got this like this is who draymond green is and we understand that but like we've gotten to the point now where it's like you're actively hurting your team and you've done it over and over again. And you've just not like if you really are this uncontrollable, which I don't think he is. Right. I just think this is just I think he uh, you know, it's it's not uh, to me. It's not a coincidence that he jumped in on Rudy Gobert. Now, like, let's just if we talk about this specific play, Gobert goes in and he's he's trying to pull Clay Thompson off of Jaden McDaniels. Draymond goes in in defense of his teammate and jumps in and then puts him in a chokehold like yo like that's not uh at a certain point it's it's not cool but this is a dude who he's made fun of for crying for not getting an all-star vote they compete against each other all the time for defensive player of the year they get they both are uh um always kind of chippy with each other and things like that and 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 so on so it's not like 
an accident to me. It's like, oh, Rudy's going into that ain't happening. And it was an opportunity. I don't even know if it was just an opportunity. It was a reaction. And then he saw it was Rudy. And he's like, I'm going in. I'm getting Rudy out of there. And that's it. You know, this, but like, it's just, I'm just tired of this bullshit, man. Yeah. I, I, I get it. I don't disagree with any of that. I'm just, it's, it is. But if that's what the Warriors need to keep them going and being intense and all of that stuff, that's a problem for the Warriors. Yep. Right. No, I agree. I actually think that with Draymond, this is a little bit more like it's, you remember how Jokic used to get the frustration fouls? All the time, you know, he, he'd get a turnover. He felt like he would foul. He would immediately he foul. karate chopped uh, Cameron Payne. Yeah, um, it's an impulse thing, right? Like it's a controlling the impulse and not going too far. And, and you know, by this point in, in his career, you would think that Draymond would have kind of mastered that. And I, I would argue, you know, he gets better as the season goes on, and I think he is better in the playoffs than in the especially early parts of the regular season, but. I don't know, man. This is not pretty bad. And I think he's going to. Hey, and remember, they, Joe Dumars already kind of came out this morning and said, hey, we have to look at the history with Draymond Green when we start thinking about the suspension. And all of the things that you brought up, Mo, where, you know, they're constantly sniping uh, back and forth with him and Rudy. He's talking about Rudy all the time and on his podcast. And now, I mean, all that stuff might come back to bite him and, and the Warriors because, I mean, Look, the Warriors are, are they're I still think that they're a contender, but they haven't looked good. This no, is this is a bad time for this stuff to be happening for them. It, it no, it's it, uh, the problem for them is if he gets a 10 game suspension, this is a team that's already small. Like they're they're going to really struggle and then what uh, I, I'm just throwing out 10 games, just whatever. Sure. Uh, you know, it's going to put them so far behind. And in a stacked West, like that's really difficult. And I think the the uh, uh, situation for them, like this is going to cost them something, a hole that they're going to have to dig themselves out of for the entire season. And that assumes everything else goes right. Because we got to be concerned about Curry all of a sudden having knee soreness. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul's no spring chicken. Clay Thompson's not any younger. Like there's there's that's assuming everything goes perfectly here on out. And I just think like he's just putting them in a hole. He's just added more problem. He threw a 10 pound weight on their backs. Yeah. 20 pound well, weight, whatever. I don't know. In their backpack, in their backpack. Uh, well, luckily they have Brandon Podzimski. So, uh, you know, I think he they're going to awesome be okay. Time. He was great. Um, so, well, let, can we, can go, we switch ahead, to, to, to the Wolves? Because you, you yeah, that's what I was the, about to yeah, do. Yeah. No, but you talked off. about the Wolves. I mean, the Wolves made hard work of this game. Like, Steph's out, Draymond Clay get ejected. Uh, and for, you know, I think. No disrespect, but I think that that you know if you you would take uh, well, Jade McDaniel's only plays one minute, but so do Draymond and Clay. I think that would you would say that's net advantage Wolves, especially with Golden State's depth issues. But they made hard work of this game. But this is you mentioned Brendan Fudzimski, and also like Dario Saric had a had a had a nice game last night as well. And this is sort of something that 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 kind of happens where. Uh, you know, guys who aren't really on the scouting report. Like I, I looked it up this morning. Darius Sarge took 15 shots last night. He hasn't taken 15 shots in a game since uh, 2021 and has done it about 10 times total since he got traded from the Sixers to start his career. So this is not not on your scouting report is Dario Sarge like primary offensive weapon. And these, and you know, these are NBA players are all very good. So this is why you sometimes see in sort of a one-off guy missing, guy gets hurt, 
the, the, the team that's supposedly undermanned is like feistier than you'd expect because they have good players who are getting opportunities and you're not really like, I, does any player on the Timberwolves before last night know what, uh, really have an understanding of what Brandon Przimski liked to do with the ball. Right, right. right. No, does, but any, like, does anybody watching basketball have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. to, to be honest, like in my days as scouting and, and working in the video room, whenever there was like a late scratch, like day of or whatever, especially if it happened after shoot around, after we had our shoot around, it just created problems. Like there'd be a game, we'd be playing Portland and like Brandon Rory would be a scratch you know what when we get to the arena and then all of a sudden like we're getting killed and we lose that game and we're like how do we lose this game they didn't have Brandon Roy it's it's a combination of like a letdown effect we don't have to go as hard and then as you said once Clay and and Draymond go out it's like yo okay and and to the Warriors credit they balled those kids balled like they put up a pretty big lead they had a nice little you know a 10 point cushion at, at certain points and whatnot and I think they just rolled with it but like so that's the kind of stuff, the weirdness that happens during the regular season that I think is somewhat inevitable with some of these games. It happens to every team is going to have something like that. But let's just focus on the Wolves and sort of the fun part. Yeah. Um, They're really cool. freaking good, guys. Like, that, this is the good. thing I think people really need to understand. So early in the season, man, one of the things I got I like to look at is quality wins, you know, and the Wolves. I mean, you got to play who's in front of you, but the Wolves have had a really tough schedule. If you think about the contenders in the league and they've beaten Denver, they've beaten Boston. They now have beaten the Warriors two times. Um, they've won seven straight. They've got the second part of a road back to back where they had Golden State and Phoenix. So they play Phoenix tonight to go for their eighth straight win. And, and I mean, on a back-to-back, -back, you know, who knows? This could be a schedule loss. Um, but this team is, has been really good. And Anthony Edwards, who we will talk about, has been a, a primary focus. But I want to swing to Rudy Gobert because I think we, we all felt like last season there was some regression to his game. And especially on the defensive side, I felt like we saw that. And I'm now thinking it might have just been some fit issues because – He's all the way back defensively. He looks great. Now, there's regression on the offensive side. I'm not going to deny that that's not there. But I think defensively, Rudy Gobert looks as good as he did two or three years ago. So I'm glad we brought this up because I think that the Wolves are are that interesting combination of, of especially defensively, they've been good, but also fortunate, I think. Um, they're, they have the best field, the best, effective field goal percentage defense in the league by a huge margin and some of that is they've protected the rim really well you can see that but the other part is they are by far the team that has benefited most from sort of poor opponent shooting and this is taking into account who's shooting and what shots they're taking there's their opponents are hitting about four and a half percent less on threes than you would expect given you know the the, the types of shots and the shooters uh, and that's a that's a big deal. That's you know that 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 basically is is only you know it's it's tough to to translate directly into points because you have to factor in you know they obviously some of the offensive rebounds happen on some of the misses and stuff like that. That's probably four or five points a game of like you know positive opponent shooting luck. So um, there, I, I think we can we can accept that they're good. I do want to see a, a stretch where opponents actually make some jumpers against them to see like calibrate where, where they actually are in the firmament of, of, of the West this year. 
Well, I kind of want to go a little bit different than Dave and, and, you know, shocking again, Seth and I just a little bit on different <laughs> sides of things. Um, they have the best defense in the NBA by like three points, mm-hmm. like in defensive rating. And I get what Seth's saying with that. That's to me more than just shot luck there and, and, and all of that stuff. That's a combination of, and when you look at last year to this year, look, D'Angelo Russell was their starting point guard last year. Like kind of hard, you know, defensively Yeah, this year. It's Mike Connolly. You know, Jaden McDaniels has has shown, you know, hey, I'm an all defensive type of player, and he's been absolutely phenomenal. Anthony Edwards has been absolutely phenomenal on the defensive end. It's just amazing when you have actual perimeter defenders around how much easier it makes Rudy Gobert's job. Like that's kind of the thing. Like over the years with the Jazz, we started to see the struggle of. No perimeter defense. They were just giving up straight line drive after straight line drive after straight line drive and expecting Rudy to just erase everything. Well, now this jazz, I mean, this team from the, uh, excuse me, from the wolves aren't giving that stuff up. They're doing a great job standing guys up, slowing people down and so on. And it allows Rudy to kind of be the guy that he's supposed to be. And I just think that's just freaking amazing. Like that's, that's the difference. To me, and I think it's not just Rudy. When we talk about the defense, we got to talk about those guys on the perimeter all doing a phenomenal job. I think there's also a, a schematic element as well. Um, you know, it, it's uh, uh, John Krasinski talked about this a lot last year. Is there's a certain amount of of you know you don't want to get beat, but when you get beat, like Rudy doesn't like a whole lot of traffic around his feet when he's like going to contest shots and the wolves, if you remember two years ago, they were very, they had a good defense that was based largely on them running all over the court and, you know, having long athletic guys who could, you know, cover ground and stuff like that. And so the mix of, you know, wanting Rudy wanting space to, you know, do his thing and everyone else being used to flying around, I think almost led to, you know, McDaniels and root and, and Gobert getting each other's way. Or something like that. And I think they've probably adjusted a little bit to, all right, we're going to do a good job of staying in front of guys. But when we do get beat, we're going to peel off and, and, and trust that that's that the, that, that our big guy inside has got that sort of more taken care of, uh, as opposed to feeling like, oh, we've got to, we've got to sprint all over the court and help like they, like, you know, they did two years ago. And I think one other thing that we don't talk about, about the Wolves enough about last season, they did not have a full training camp. Right. Like the way, you know, Towns was sick the whole training camp. Rudy took a lot of time off because of Euro League. Uh, uh, Edwards came in fat talking about Popeye's chicken. Like you had a whole lot of like like stuff around this team. And then, you know, uh, Towns was out the whole year. I mean, there was just so many different things. And then they make a big trade at the trade deadline. Like there's just so many different things that was around that team last year. This year, it feels like everything settled. And even to the point where, this is Anthony Edwards' team. There's no question about that. To to that point, I want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns and how I think he's fit in to this team really, really well so far this year. He had a good game against the Warriors. I mean, closing the games, they're they're going to go to Anthony Edwards. But when you have a player like Carl Anthony Towns that can give you the sort of offense that he's able to generate, it just seems like him and Rudy are able to coexist a little bit better and. Carl Anthony Towns actually playing a little bit of defense, guys. Maybe maybe that fit isn't so awful. You know, I mean, it, it, again, it's still early. We'll see how it goes midseason. But 
you know, there were a lot of people who were kind of hot to trade cat and, you know, you may not be able to replace that sort of production and talent. I still think the fit is imperfect if we're talking playoffs. Sure. Like that's, you know, but uh, that's also for a franchise like Minnesota. That's that's we're veering into very good problem to have territory and need a need a kind of a clean run at it to see like they were they were competitive against the, the Nuggets last year. But we need a clean run at it to see what it looks like uh, in, in the postseason. Um b- before we, we move on, I do want to clarify, like, Mo, you're right, that, they, that they're, if they're stop the first. It, stop it, you're done. They're, no, they're the, if they're the best, if they've been the best defense by a lot, that that the shooting luck aside, it still means they're a good defense. But it's the kind of thing that, like, maybe they've played, like, the third best defense, and then you add the, the positive variance. Like, good and lucky is, it, generally speaking, the teams that have, like, the best defensive rating in the league are both, have been both good and fortunate in, in terms of opponent shooting. So it's not like, it doesn't, it doesn't mitigate or say they're not playing good defense to, to observe that. It's just like, you know, especially how well they've done against these top teams. All right, they've, they've caught some teams on nights where they haven't shot the ball well, as well as guarded them well. And so, like, let's let it play out a little bit, see what it looks like again when, 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 you know, when they're playing they, they, they games where the opponents are shooting, you know, hit 37% of their threes instead of 32. No. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, I just, that's, that's fair. I just wanted to, I want to go to Edwards though. And the end of the game against the Boston Celtics, because that was yeah. a phenomenal performance. Like the, he has five fouls. He's, you know, still playing solid defense. He strips, Jason Tatum on a play turns into a jump ball. They win the tip, kicks it up to Mike Connolly, get a three. You know, he starts making a whole bunch of shots. He took over in overtime and literally won that game. Like he dueled the Boston Celtics and beat them. And I think that's the kind of stuff you're seeing from him in that growth level. And I think that's the big thing from there. So it's, you know, to me, this team is going to only go with how far he develops and whatnot. And cat is okay with being the sidekick. Because that's really the deal. The everybody wanted to trade Cat. You're right, Dave. The only time they, it, the only time I feel like at any point this season they should, is if Cat decides, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, and that's fine for the Wolves. Because you know why? Nas Reed is waiting on the bench, and he's killing it too. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, they're just they're as small as the Warriors are. The the Wolves are big as hell, and everybody can kind of play. Um, but Anthony Edwards, the thing that has most impressed me to start the season, his decision-making. There are times where other players of his caliber will force shots, and I've seen him actively not force the shot and look for the pass, look for the cutter. These are the sorts of things that, you know, when you're thinking about a a lead initiator, a ball handler, um, playmaker guy, that's what you want to see. Like, what's not just can he get a bucket anytime he wants, can he create buckets for other people? anytime he wants. I mean, that's just as important. You say this has been an issue with other players of similar. It's been an issue for Edwards himself. I think that that some of the, some of the worries about the wolves in the last couple of years is, is, you know, they, uh, they've had a couple of guys who have, who have not handled, you know, Edwards, you know, early in his career, but also I think this was a, 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 this has been a hallmark of D'Angelo Russell and, and towns at times as well is sort of the, the, trying to play the moment instead of the instead of the play basketball and it's just like oh i gotta make a play here 
and and you know something you know some kind of bad shot or bad pass or you know crazy offensive foul results and so i think this has been you know it's it's, it's kind of a natural maturation process i think but th- that has been you know for edwards that decision making has been sort of the big question about him going back to his him, him coming into the draft um obviously the the physical talent and the skill level is 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 what it is it's like can he consistently get to the point where he's making the right decision at a high enough proportion of the time? And that's something that, you know, again, quality reps, you know, get, get playing in big games and, oh, that didn't work and we lost because I did that and really sharpening that way uh, has been good for him. Yeah, um, imagine if he loved basketball, you know? I mean, that guy could be amazing. <laughs> uh, speaking of guys who love basketball, uh, we assume that the Los Angeles Clippers players love basketball. We don't no, love to do. watch them, though. <laughs> <laughs> they are awful. Uh, they've lost six straight. The Harden trade, guys, um, it's not working well. We're, we're going to take this one to the eye test. Uh, Mo, do they just have too many guys that need the ball in their hands? Do they not have enough size? Do they not have enough defense, uh, you know, up at the point of attack? What What is the problem? What are the problems? Yes to all of that, Dave. Like, yeah. I wish it was easier to kind of just, just, you know, pinpoint just one. But, yeah, first off, the Plumlee injury kills them. They're down to just one big man in, in Zubac. Uh, they played the game against the Nuggets, and they closed, for the most part, going small. Now, they built the lead going small. I think people need to, you know, kind of get that and and – I think the problem for them is, and this is going to be a work in progress all season, trying to figure out how it works with James Harden rotations and, and everything like that. But I'm just, you can just see one, the, the effects of having Harden on the floor with them. They're slower. They don't, when they're at their best, they push with pace. They play faster. That was sort of something I thought Russ was doing a great job for them before this trade. And now they're not doing that. Now they're playing a lot slower. They have a lot more possessions where it's, your turn, my turn. Um, I think they are defensively. They're just that's a bad backcourt. Just 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 a bad defensive backcourt. There's no as great as Kawhi is, as great as Paul George is defensively. Zubac is solid. It's hard to do that when you have two real bad defensive players. And I don't think Russ is. I mean, whatever. Russ isn't good defensively. But Russ Harden's has been never, fine. He's been fine for them, but it's been easier to cover it up with that stuff. But now. I think you're in this situation is, you know, like, go look at this Nuggets game. They had a five-point lead with five and a half minutes left. Then Ty Lue took out Russ and put James Harden in, and they still stayed small. It was a 10-point swing in the wrong direction for them. Like, it's just that simple. Like, you just, that's a bad situation for them. Like, you know, and they had a similar situation in the game against Memphis where they were playing terribly. And then when, they made a big run when Harden was off the court and then they put him back in and they end up ultimately losing that game. Like it's just, you know, you're in a difficult spot when you're doing that. They And, and I, I that's a great point to bring up about how, you know, built a lead and then kind of kicked it away. They've been the worst clutch team in the NBA this year and some, you know, 10 games in and so it's a there's a little bit the ball bounces but you know you're you get to five minutes left up five like that's the outer edge of of what the nba terms a clutch uh, a cl- crunch time 
if you if you get to the point where you're up five with five minutes left, you win 90-ish percent of the games. And so that's a, you know, you basically kicked away a whole game, like a whole win by losing that game. And they're, and they're you know, I, I like to look, you know, at teams, it's a combination of how good the team is plus, you know, what the score is when we get to crunch time and see which teams are over and underperforming. And they're, they're already two games under two wins under expectation. And usually the worst team in the league over the course of a year ends up in that uh, minus four, five, six range. So they're like almost halfway or a third of the way to, you know, really terrible. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, is that luck? Is that, you know, now I don't say luck. Is that just kind of the way the ball is bounced? Is there something structural? I mean, I think we identified their problems with what their closing five is going to be. Uh, when we talked about this trade, when it happened is, is, you know, you, who closes and how does you find a workable lineup with that? And especially with, uh, if, if we don't trust Zubats and Plumley out, then you got to go small, except you don't have a, a small lineup that is a sensible closing lineup while being small. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids and Honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. 
Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. You know, they they traded I, what I think is kind of the, the trick that has gotten them to the playoffs the last few years. They've traded away all their depth, which Tai Lu has managed extremely well historically. And now your eggs are all in the James Harden basket. And I just don't know if that's as useful to Ty Lu. I mean, just think about from a coaching perspective. He doesn't have the pieces to plug all the gaps that they have. You know, he can't throw Robert Covington out there as a small ball five uh, uh, just to try it out against Jokic. You know, Zubac was getting destroyed during one stretch of that game. You know, and, and they can't even attempt to go small and space the floor a little bit because – they don't have a guy, like you said, that can hold up. So, you know, I wonder if this isn't just a double-edged sort of sword that, that's going to hurt them. Number one, you've got to integrate Harden, and that's going to be difficult because it's James Harden. And he is the Kawhi, Right. But number two, you've taken away the tools that Ty Lu has used to, to patch the holes in this team when Kawhi isn't out there, when Paul George isn't out there. And I, I think there's a little bit of – the style of coaching that he does, it, it he almost is kind of it requires it for this team. I mean, they just don't have they don't have a third guy who's who's a, a two way guy. So he's figured out a bunch of one way guys and how to use them properly for this team. And I think Harden is not anywhere close to a facsimile of those guys. I. I, I see your point. I do wonder how much of that was was a ship having sailed on that anyway with, you know, Morris and Covington and Batum, like where they are age wise, if the, they can still be that. Like you say, I think it wasn't just the depth. It was the fact that they would put lineups out where everyone was like six, seven to six, nine and tough. Right. And and, you know, that relied on on, you know, Marcus Morris and Robert Covington and, and Nick Batum being like, you know, very good NBA NBA contributors at that point. And, and certainly Morris has, has fallen off and Covington perhaps. And I think Batum still has something left. Uh, yeah. I was about to but, slap you. Yeah. If you said something bad about Batum. Yeah, no, but, it. but I think that on balance though, they're not like those three guys. If, if, if they had traded the three years ago version of those three guys, it would be a bigger problem, but it's just right. like, you wonder how much of the, 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 how much of that was actually still present on this Clippers roster anyway, given, given where those guys are. Yeah. I think there's a couple of things here for me. I think the, those guys mattered. I think Dave, you hit the nail head on. And I think the, the important thing to understand is that like Batum was a big difference maker for this team over the past few years. Like he's really kind of done everything for them. He's been a utility guy across the board. Um, 
I just think this team needed to make a trade. I don't have a problem with them taking a swing. I just think this was the wrong pitch to swing for. Like, I just think, I mean, hell, like we're hearing stuff about Levine. I don't even know if that's the right guy, but like, I would have felt much better about that than, than what they, than, than this stuff with Harden and then the, the, the draft picks that they gave up in all of this. Like, it's a scary proposition for them, man. Like, this has to work. And it's like, I look at it going like, I'm watching it going, like, you can't re-sign James at the end of the season. <laughs> or if you, know? you can, it's it's because it's, things have gone very poorly. And, and <laughs> right, right. Like, the number he wants, you can't do that. You can't give him that massive amount. Like, you know, are they going to end up having to trade Westbrook? Like, this is, he's not, he's not going to be happy getting subbed out in crunch time games. And, and, you know, seeing the lead evaporate, that's basically what he saw last night. They, they, they went toe to toe with them for the last five minutes. They gave it away. And I think that's something that Russ is sitting there on the bench and seeing it. And he's going to be frustrated. I mean, like, are they going to, they did a great job bringing him back last year. And we, I thought he was a mistake and all that. And he proved me wrong. He's been awesome this year. And now they just kind of neutered him in that sense. And it's like, man, it's, this is just such a typical difficult job for even Ty Lue to navigate. I think they just said like, Hey, let's just make this harder. And I felt like they needed to be more patient. It just never made sense to me when he, when James Harden demanded the trade said, I want to go to the Clippers. It's like, oh, I can understand James wanted to come home, but I was like, the Clippers don't want him. And they made runs at other guys. We know they went after drew holiday and, and so on. But like, man, this is just not the right guy. Man, and now wait. you have, and you have to go I, through the whole season trying to figure this thing out. It's going to be difficult, man. And this isn't the year to do that with how stacked the West is. You talking about them trading Russ just made me think about the James. Like if James Harden were to re- request another trade here in a couple months, I, I can't wait for that one. Uh, <laughs> okay, yes, um, let's do that again. As we, let's, let's... as we wrap up, uh, how about those Indiana Pacers? Number one offense in the league, Mo, 28th defense. Is this something that's sustainable for regular season success? Like, could they could they be a, a five seed with the, with this sort of disparity between offensive and defense? I've been saying it since the training camp. Since the training camp. Look at me like an <laughs> idiot. I've been saying it since training camp. If Tyrese Halliburton is healthy all year, this is a top six team in the East. I don't have any doubt about it. I don't think they do much in the playoffs because that defensive rating is awful. But just go watch what he did against the Sixers. It was unbelievable. Matter of fact, there's going to be a one more thing on it. It, it. He was masterful the way he was orchestrating the offense, getting opportunities for guys, scoring when he needed to. I mean, Dave, he had a beautiful hook shot. Like it's, it's unbelievable. It's just like, he's, it's just like all of those things. And I just can't, I mean, it's all about him, but let's just be honest. Benedict Mathurin has been absolutely phenomenal. Obi Toppin has been good for them. Miles Turner is doing well for them. Like they're getting all the stuff. Uh, Andrew Nemhard has been big for them. Like they're getting all the, Aaron Neesmith has been pretty good. Aaron Neesmith has been really good for them, you know, and that's a dude I wrote off a while ago. And, you know, he's been balling. Like this is one of those things. And then the other thing, Rick Carlisle is showing you he's a damn good coach. 
like, let's be honest. Like, I know we're going to probably give coach of the year to Ime Udoka because he has to deal with Dylan Brooks all season and has found a way to make Dylan Brooks an effective three point shooter. But Rick Carlisle needs to get a little effort. (laughs) Rick Carlisle deserves the talk of coach of the year early in the season. They're third in the Eastern Conference right now. Yeah. Um, Seth, is there. Is there a little bit of this team is too good too soon? You know, and not from a you don't want them to do well, you don't want them to win games, but from a team building perspective, you know, they're pretty young and they're going to be limited in what they can do in free agency. I'm going to make a wild comparison here in terms of being too good too soon. And I think it's Mavericks. Yes. Yeah. No, and 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 I think it's you know they, their style of play is obviously very different, but just in terms of of uh, Halliburton is is he's not on Luca's level, but he's sort of entering the conversation as of a guy who is you know that sort of a floor raiser who can who he's on the floor. Your offense is good as long as you have any talent around him. Uh, and then, as you say, it it's sort of all right, we're getting by with like, I like, I like Aaron Neesmith. I like Andrew Nemhard. I like Benedict Matherin. I like, like, but you know, those are, you know, probably seventh, like, you know, third, fourth wing types and, but you can get good stuff out of them. And so it's the same way that, that, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. For example, has been a, an effective player alongside Doncic in, 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 in Dallas. It's sort of okay, but we need to improve on that, and we're actually making it harder for us to do that because we're winning too much. Which okay, it's a again a good problem to have. Oh darn, our the guy we traded Demonis Sabonis for is turning into a possible All NBA guard. <laughs> God, that's a, such a tough break in our in our team I, development. I hate having to hold those opposing views, right? Like I actually yeah. just it it is it's less enjoyable to me uh, when, when we talk about this stuff to say, wow, this young team is great. This young player is great. But also because of the way that NBA team building works, they should suck for two more years. Well, yeah, I, I just, it, I don't like doing it, that. There's, there's also, it requires sort of the imagination on the part of the front office to, to be like, all right, like these guys look better than they are because of, we still need to, like we get to the playoffs. We still, we are going to need better than that and and so getting having that in mind instead of just saying yeah we're we're great and and dallas has completely failed at that over the years and let's see how indiana navigates it yeah i just want to echo that sentiment from seth because dave like that thought that okay now we just need to be bad to you we still need to be bad for the next few years that's a loser mentality oh i hate it that's something i mean and, and and that's something that i think the the organizations that do that will fall apart. And I think, you know, we're seeing the struggles with Dallas after that, you know, with, with that mentality, it's, it's resting on your laurels of like, Oh, look, we're great. We're fine. You know, in that situation, that's when the front office has to do their job. That's when they, okay, we're ahead of schedule. All right. How do we pivot? How do we adjust on the fly and deal with that? And I think that's kind of an important thing to, uh, for them to kind of calculate. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show, folks. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for watching over on YouTube. For Seth Partnow and Mo DeKeel, I'm Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder, she wrote, on the Athletic NBA Show.